You are listening to The Breakdown. This is Yasser Louati speaking. This podcast is offered to you by the CJL, Committee for Justice and Liberties. We are an independent human rights and civil liberties organization thanks to our donors. If you too would like to support our investigative reporting, political education and mobilization work, you can make a donation on cjl.ong. Welcome to The Breakdown. This is your host Yasser Louati coming to you straight from the Paris South Side Bollywood. Thanks again for joining us and I welcome our new listeners and viewers from wherever they are. And I thank you if you have been listening to this podcast from the beginning and you know who you are. This new episode will focus on India and the country has been making headlines for years in terms of the rise of the fascist government of uh, Modi, the anti-Muslim violence that has been uh, running amok throughout the country. We have seen horrendous videos of lynchings, mob violence. We heard worrisome discourses coming from the Indian political elite and many questions have been left unanswered in terms of how this violence has become so normalized in Indian society how Muslims are coping with it, and why is it that the country we call the largest democracy in the world, a secular democracy, has allowed such violence to become so mainstream. For this episode, I welcome Asif Khan, who is a filmmaker and activist based in India. He has been documenting Islamophobia for years in India and he will give us his expertise on the topic and of course you are welcome to comment in the in this in the comment section to answer to ask questions of course and hopefully hopefully things will get better for minorities in India uh, Asif welcome to the breakdown uh, thank you very much brother Yasser for inviting me on your podcast well uh, thank you for honoring me with your presence and uh, to teach us with through your expertise I know the situation is quite difficult and I really commend your courage to come forward and to speak publicly over what's happening in your country. Uh, my first question is really a candid one for an un uninformed or not necessarily informed audience. What is going on in India? I mean, like this is not the India we often hear about. We know there was sectarian violence and has been sectarian violence since the partition uh, with Pakistan. But to us, uh, since the 2002 Gujarat massacre, we tended to forget India when it came to sectarian violence. Just please educate us over what's happening in your country. Uh, uh, first of all, our country right now going through a second wave of coronavirus pandemic. As you know, India has uh, uh, more than 400,000 deaths uh, due to coronavirus and uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of cases every day emerging in India right now. People are suffering due to lack of medical facilities. There's some other issues, but uh, for Indian Muslims, we are suffering from the terminal virus as well, actually. We have been facing discrimination, fascism, and uh, Islamophobia and the physical violence, especially in the last seven years since uh, Narendra Modi became Prime Minister of India in 2014. In the last two weeks, India has seen more than 10 incidents of Islamophobia where a few Muslims have been 
lynched by a mob or they were attacked in the, uh, by cow vigilants or uh, a market had been demolished by a local administration in North India. So it is like everyday episode. In the morning, you wake up, you open your mobile phone, you read news, and you will get news that some incident happened somewhere in India where a Muslim either he had been killed by mob or an extrajudicial killing or police torture or uh, he's just beaten up by the a mob of uh, Hindu right wing extremists who just accused some random Muslim of uh, carrying a meat of cow or uh, stealing kettles and just just become very normal. The violence against Muslims has become very normal actually. Well, uh, you spoke about these uh, cow mobs. Tell us about that and how is it that only today Hindus, if I'm correct, of course, and probably this has been happening for a long time. Why is it that now that we have we see the rise of these mobs patrolling communities and attacking Muslims on the accusation of either consuming meat or stealing uh, cattle. Actually, uh, it's the core belief of Hindu ideology, and uh, those people who believe in the right-wing Hindu nationalism, they believe that cow is uh, sacred to them, and uh, and that they believe that for the sake of the political agenda. Actually, they do not care about cows. If you come here in India, you will see there are hundreds of cows which are abandoned by their owners. They do not have grass to eat, they do not have shelter to live, they do not have water to drink. They just sit here and there on the street and on the roads and they die due to the lack of food. But just to fulfill their political agenda, they claim that cow is sacred to them, it's equal to the goddess to them, and it is prohibited to kill a cow. Unfortunately, you know, in India, there are some places like South India or Northern Eastern India, Northeastern India, where beef is legal. Government has allowed people to consume uh, flesh of cow. They can eat with legal permission. But in North India, where uh, BJP has a stronghold, North India BJP is a ruling party in many different states they play with sentiments of the Hindu majority. So there are already laws which exist in India which do not allow killing of cow. But instead of uh, using those laws, what happening right now, since last seven years at least, there are many vigilance groups in India which associated with the right-wing Hindu ideology. And uh, those extremists have form a mob lynching group. So wherever they see a Muslim driver, if he's transporting cattle in his truck or whatever vehicles, they stop him, they lynch him, they kill him, they assault him. And if they see there are any cases of a Muslim carrying a meat, they suspect him. And they on just on suspicion, on suspicion of being a consumer of beef, they just lynch him. And unfortunately, society has, I mean, majority society has done nothing to stop this lynching. They have normalized it. Police are also complicit into it. Mm -hmm. and the government have, government have support of those people who are doing such kind of violence. So 
I guess when tourists come to India, they're also allowed to eat, uh, you know, beef. So as you're saying, and if I'm correct, uh, if I heard you, heard you correctly, is that, you know, there is a, a, a belief that cows are sacred, but that belief is only enforced to attack Muslims. And those cows are oftentimes abandoned in the streets and die from lack of shelter and lack of food. My next question, Asif, and this actually raises even more questions uh, about this BJP. So to us, um, some of us remember uh, Indira Modi's role in the bloody Gujarat massacre of 2002 that had left all, nearly a thousand people uh, dead. Uh, Hindu mobs attacked Muslims in the trains and train stations. And we saw that it turned out that Modi was actually uh, blacklisted on the international uh, um, media and even in, in the so-called international community. Now, we see this openly racist politician who uh, follows an ideology of Hindu nationalism through a party called the BJP. Could you explain to us what are the core beliefs of uh, uh, Hindu nationalism, the core beliefs of the BJP? And again, if you could you know, enlighten us in terms of what made the rise of such an openly fascist government, a political party to become, you know, to reach you know, the highest positions of the government? Uh, I have to explain the background of the BJP. Yes, please. Ideology. So BJP is just a political wing of a large organization. Organization is called RSS. The full form of RSS is Rashtri Swayam Sevaksan. Abbreviation is RSS and it's popular by that name only. So RSS is a fascist organization which was founded in 1925. And those, those people who founded this organization, they were a great fan of the fascist and Nazi leaders of that era like Adolf Hitler, Mussolini. In their books, which were written in, in 1940s or 1930s, they have eulogized Hitler and they have praised him for whatever he had done in the Nazi Germany. So they drew their inspiration from Nazi Germany, like how Hitler has uh, killed uh, millions of Jews just to protect the racial supremacy, urban supremacy in Germany. And they have said M.S. Goldwalker was his name. He was supremo of the RSS. M.S. Goldwalker. He has written in his books whatever Hitler has done in Germany should be done in India as well. And the Muslim of this country are the enemy of the Hindus. So if they do not surrender to the Hindu supremacy, if they do not adopt the culture of Hinduism, then they should be treated as second-class citizen in this country. They should not have any right in this land, not even citizen right. So this is this is a 90-year project. They do not become fascist overnight. It has been happening since 1925. Unfortunately, when the secular, so-called secular parties were in power after 1947, India got independence in 1947, when British left the country, the Congress party has, been, has uh, come into the power and Congress claimed to be a secular party. But this secular liberal party has done nothing to stop this menace of right-wing Hindutva fascism. The 
ideology the right wing hindu fascism is also known as hindutva in india hindutva so they, they have done nothing to stop this ideology and slowly slowly they become mainstream they started spreading their propaganda in indian society they have their own branches and they have millions of followers across the country and they have a political wing always existed the bjp current party which was uh, started in 1980 early before then there was a jansang party which was political wing of rss so rss is the main organization they have different political they have different wing like bjp is their political wing they have student wing as well they have their own uh, like private militia as well so they have different kind of wings which and they use all kind of wings just to spread the fascism in india so my question uh, asif uh, if you might uh, excuse me for interrupting you how come indian society could not resist this rise of fascism for decades what were the main factors that facilitated the rise of the bjp and for their ideology to become so widespread they could seek electoral positions i think uh, the reason behind that is that uh, the prejudices against muslim which existed in indian society since decades that's the main reason because india has seen partition in 1947 on the line of religious identity there was a muslim majority pakistan and then hindu majority india came into existence and since then uh, the hatred was in the mind and heart of the people against each other so those people who were in the politics who were active in the politics they have tried their best to use that anti muslim hatred to remain in the power so if if you make a, a minority community a permanent enemy of the majority then it's very easy to get their votes actually but like i said in nine, since 1947 to 1980 for four decades they were not in the power the right wing in the extremists were not in power actually but uh, they started rising uh, i would say since 1985 1986 they claim there was a most uh, 400 year old mosque in north india uh, there is a small town called ayodhya so uh, those people who were belong to ideology of hindutva they claim that uh, this mosque stood on the birthplace of lord rama and there was a hindu temple existed there but some muslim invaders destroyed that temple in uh, 16th century and constructed a mosque upon it so this is our place and we will reclaim it a legal battle was going on in court for many years but uh, hindutva mob in 1992 6 december in 1992 they destroyed that mosque in broad daylight and that was a turning point of indian politics the majority hindu society has accepted them they never got punished there were cases against them legal cases those people who were involved in uh, demolition but uh, they never got punished those mm-hmm. people who were responsible they were yes. rewarded by the public actually <clears throat> they become hero in the eyes of the public so many people as if so if uh, there was some sense of sympathy let's say in the broader indian public opinion how did other political parties civil society 
the world of Indian culture, which we know is a, it, it's, it's a huge sector of Indian society and highly influential or in, uh, across the globe. How did those uh, sectors of Indian society react to those events? Was there also sympathy, silence, or outright, you know, like you know, rejection over those events, of, of those events? I would say silence. Uh, I did not see the huge outrage from the Indian majority society against such kind of atrocities. And the so-called liberal secular society has normalized those fascists. Instead of punishing them when they were committing such kind of you know, heinous crimes, instead of punishing them, instead of ostracizing them from the society, they were given space in the society. They, their act has been legitimized. See, if you, if they had put a ban on them that time, I mean, government, government did not put any kind of ban on those people who were responsible for such kind of atrocities and violence. They, they were not get arrested. They were roaming free. They were propagating their ideologies of hatred and they were contesting election. So when you, when you allow someone who has been accused of committing such kind of crime and you allow him to contest election, it means you are giving him legitimacy. Yes. You are normalizing him in a civil society. So this process started from there and I would blame the liberal secular of this country who have been ruling, ruling this country for decades and they have normalized the process. So they, they, they gave them space in parliament. Although they do not have a majority, but still they become the face of opposition in India. So they have enjoyed that kind of privilege and uh, they were given the space in the media. They were given space in the society, in the parliament, in political discourse. And that's how they started their journey. So I would blame everyone, including media, including liberal secular government who were in power, everything worked in their hand to punish those people. They did nothing and I would, generally blame the society, the majority in the society of the India who have not taken any action or who have not, who haven't done anything to boycott these people. I will give you just a small example. In 2019, there was a Christchurch attack in New Zealand. We have seen what happened two years before in Christchurch. Uh, 50 people have been killed in a mosque. So we have seen how New Zealand society responded after that. There were a flood of solidarity. Their civil society people were showing solidarity with Muslims and they were visiting mosques. I have never seen such kind of solidarity in India. So people are either silent or they are complicit. The this, is, this is really scary, Asif, when you say that uh, when the secular parties were in power, they allowed their legitimate opposition to be this fascist movement and gave no platform to Muslims on the one hand, but also remained quiet as these crimes were being committed. This is quite a scary scenario you give us as if when you see that even secular parties somehow just you know express their sympathy through silence. And if you allow me, I can also draw parallels where Islamophobia is also a problem in many other countries. I'm speaking to you from France, the laboratory of Islamophobia, and we see the same things happening, that you allow Muslims to be portrayed as the enemy within, 
so-called uh, members of mainstream politics remain quiet as we see the rise or the resurrection of the historic far right in France, which has, by the way, a specific history of collaborating with the Nazis, of legitimizing the deportation and extermination of Jews. Nevertheless, the rise of this far right, which was made possible by you know the left, the Socialist Party, sometimes they even uh, coexisted, uh, you know, quite you know, uh, happily next to one another in the National Assembly, if, if I may say. But what made things even worse for French Muslims is that uh, the racist ideology of the far right was also expressed by the left, again, the Socialist Party, uh, the Communist Party to some extent. And we see that you know, Islamophobia has become a point of convergence for the whole political spectrum in France. Uh, when it comes to India, it tends to look the same. So are you saying that there is no opposition or not anymore any opposition towards this you know, fascist government of Modi? Or are there reasons to build something with other components of uh, India's uh, political landscape or civil society? Uh, uh, the communists were never in power in India. Uh, it was a Congress party which was in power. Of course, communist party were uh, allied with them sometimes for some time, but they are not powerful, very powerful in India. And the Indian left is different from uh, Chinese left or other communist party actually because of demographic and Indian politics have a different aspect actually. Those people who were in power for decades were centrist, I would say, the liberal centrist. And uh, they have very much, you know, they were comfortable with the right wing. As if, if I look into the past right now and uh, I see whatever happened in the India in past three decades or four decades, I come to the conclusion that they were happily coexisted with the fascist. Like I said, uh, Narendra Modi, was chief minister in 2002 when a Muslim genocide taken place in Gujarat. Chief minister in India is equivalent to a governor, a governor of the states in the United States of America. In, 2040, uh, in, in 2004, there were Congress party in the power in center. They remain in the power for 10 years. During the same period, Narendra Modi was banned from, uh, from uh, Narendra Modi was banned by United States. Yes, they have banned his visa. He, he couldn't travel to America for I think for eight or ten years. The same liberal government which was ruling India at that time has done nothing to punish them. So when they were in power, it was their duty to initiate an investigation against him. It was their duty to put him or anyone else who was responsible for the Muslim carnage to put him on the trial and give the justice to the Muslim. They have done nothing. And the 2002 was not the first incident. There were many incidents happened in the decades of 1980 and 1990, and the liberals were in the power that time. So they have done nothing to punish the actual culprits. So when you when first incident happens and you do not punish the culprits, they, they gain more confidence. They think, okay, we can get away with everything. We can do any kind of crime and we will not be punished. That's how we reach today here. 
So Asif, we just, I mean, like what you're describing is already, I mean, like honestly scary. And for many of us, I mean, like we, we knew that we, you know, India was ruled by a fascist and that Indian democracy was, be, was being, uh, is, is being uh, buried uh, before our, our eyes. Now, having said that, it is not, we, we need also need to dig further and have an idea of what Islamophobia looks like for Indian Muslims on a day-to-day basis. Are the promoters only in politics? Well, usually it's not the case. If uh, racism is expressed from political parties, it must, it must mean that there are means of conveying the same ideology through pop culture, uh, uh, through uh, other politicians who obviously tend to be in opposition on some subjects, but agree with them when it comes to Islamophobia. And if you are an Indian Muslim today, what does it feel like to be Indian and Muslim and to live under such a government in terms of discrimination, mob violence, demonization, dehumanization, you know, lack of safety, etc.? Please, you know, tell the world what Indian Muslims are experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Well, I feel like it's a crime to be a Muslim in India. Because you, you, you don't need to commit a crime to be a criminal in India. Just because you are a Muslim, you will be into jail anytime. You, there is no certainty. There are many cases in India still going on when innocent Muslim activists, they were a student, uh, they were professional Muslim. They have been accused of spreading terrorism in India and they were incarcerated by the law enforcement agencies and the government. They had to spend 10 years, 15 years, two decades in jail. And they had to fight a very long legal battle to prove their innocence. So there is no guarantee if you are a Muslim in India, you will see a safe future for yourself here. Because on one side, you have a mob, mob which can lynch you just for having a religious identity. If you are wearing a skull cape, you have a beard on your face, you look like a Muslim, they may accuse you of consuming beef or cow meat, and they can lynch you. On the other hand, we have police and the government. They will come to you. They will accuse you of being a terrorist. They will uh, incarcerate you, and you will be languishing in jail for decades it would be very hard for you and your family to prove your innocence. And by the time you will come out of jail, it would be like you have already wasted your one decade, 10 decades, three decades. You have spent 25 years in jail for doing nothing. You, you were in jail just because you are Muslims. And how Islamophobia is being promoted in the country, I will give you a few examples. Like, in last one week, I will give you a few examples of last past seven days. Uttar Pradesh is the most populous state in India. It had more than 200 million people lives in that in a single state. In last one week, three incidents happened in that state. One Muslim who was a meat seller, he was attacked by a group of Hindu vigilants. They accused him of carrying cow meat. They, they got him and uh, brutally beaten him up and uh, video went viral on social media. I, I do not know if the culprits have been arrested or not yet. 
but one incident happened where a Muslim meat trader was brutally assaulted by uh, a Hindu mob. Second incident happened, another Muslim trader who was accused of cow slaughtering by police. So police has booked him for cow slaughtering. They reached to his house at midnight, at, uh, 1 a.m., around 1 a.m. Family of the victim has alleged that police first beat him up, tortured him, and then threw him down from the rooftop. Because of that, he died during his treatment in hospital. Recently, just two days back, police has randomly picked up six Muslims on the accusation of cow slaughtering, taken them to custody, and tortured them inside custody for whole night. Six Muslims have been tortured by police for whole night. And in the morning, early morning, police told them, you are innocent, now go back to your home. So now you can imagine the situation of Islamophobia in India. Three incidents just within one week. And how the politics, politicians, the media have played a role into it. I will explain. Those politicians who belong to the Modi, Modi's party, BJP, have often spew venom against the Muslim. They uh, go to the media and they give statements in television media, electronic print media, and even in election campaign rallies, they give a statement with, like uh, they say the Muslims and uh, Islam will be wiped out from the face of the earth. They, they talk like the Muslims are the enemy of India or they should go to Pakistan. The patriotism of the Muslims constantly being questioned in India. Muslims are being called international and traitors just, for, just because they are Muslims. And media has played a great role. Like we have seen what Joseph Goebbels did in Nazi Germany. And we, we know the role of the Indian, uh, we know the role of the Rwanda radio journalists in 1993 genocide. Indian media has, doing this, has been doing the same in India for the last seven years, I would say. Like recently, uh, in last two years, when uh, pandemic has broken out in India, they blame Muslim, they blame Indian Muslim for the virus, for coronavirus in India. So what Indian media did that time, last two years, they they blamed Indian Muslim and said this is the conspiracy of the Muslims to spread virus, coronavirus in India so that they can defend the Narendra Modi government. And Muslims were called Corona bomb. Muslims were called Corona Jihadi. So they say it's a jihad done by Indian Muslim in India. And they are deliberately spreading the virus to infect the Hindu population of the India. So innocent Muslim student, even I, they were a student, they were a student of the Madrasa, a religious school, you understand it. 500 Muslim students were studying in a Madrasa. Some Indian media went there, captured their photos and videos, and they have published with the headline like 500 Corona bombs found in a Madrasa. So Muslim students were called Corona bombs. Corona Jihadi and Muslim. Hold on a second. Excuse me, excuse me, Asif. Asif, excuse me for interrupting you again. You mean to tell me that 
uh, a hoax was launched that Muslims were carrying corona bombs, even though in India, Modi was responsible for holding these mass rallies that were the, themselves massive uh, corona or clusters. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, sir. I am narrating you the story of first wave, which broke out last year, 2020. The massive rally and uh, the election rallies and the Hindu congregation festival is taken place this year only, during second wave of corona pandemic. In first, uh, in first wave, it was Muslim who were solely blamed by not only media, but the Indian politician who are close to Narendra Modi and his party and his supporters. So there were massive campaign against the Muslim and because of that, there were consequences on the ground. Many Muslim have been attacked. Many Muslim were attacked. Those were poor Muslim. They were selling vegetables and they were fruit vendors. They, the right wing Hindu, uh, those who are who writes on social media and media, they have they had propagated a conspiracy theories that Muslims are deliberately mixing their saliva into vegetables or they are spitting in fruits and food. So do not buy anything from the Muslim vendor or Muslim shopkeepers. And because of that, many Muslims, those were poor food vendors and vegetable vendors, they were attacked by the Hindu mob last years. There were many cases when Muslim patients were denied medical assistance from the hospital. When they reached out to the hospital, hospital told them to have a negative report of COVID, we cannot we cannot admit you or we cannot provide you any kind of medical assistant, medical help. So this happened last year and everyone played a role into it. Civil society, politician, right-wing politician, and of course media has played a great role as I have explained how they have systematically, they ran 24 cross seven anti-Muslim propaganda from their television studio. Even recently, recently just few weeks ago, I think, on 4th May or 5th May, a member of parliament who belonged to Narendra Modi's party, BJP, he falsely accused Muslim employee of a, uh, a call center. Actually, a call center was set up in a South India, which was uh, supposed to help those people who need some kind of help regarding the availability of hospital beds or medicine or some corona medicine or something like that. So he went there to the call center and he randomly accused 16 Muslim or 17 Muslim of doing corruption. He said that these Muslim, uh, he didn't say these Muslim, but uh, he clearly read out names. He cherry picked the 17 names out of 200 employees and read out those names in front of cameras and said these 17 people are indulge in bad scheme, they are they are doing a scheme here, who recruited them, what is their qualification, etc. Et so he deliberately cherry-picked the 17 names. What happened after that, those 17 names were being circulated in social media, in WhatsApp, and in Facebook, in Twitter, with a claim that these 17 terrorists are deliberately killing Hindu patients in India. They have been, they were sacked from their job, police detained them, questioned them for hours. Uh, after inquiry, they found, of course, non, not guilty. They were found innocent, but they, they lost their job. So, you know, how systematic this Islamophobia in this country is? Um, 
Asif, I'm truly sorry to hear that. And once more, we see that uh, ideologies that tend to make human beings incapable of thinking, that you can spread a conspiracy theory in the midst of a pandemic, that Muslims are deliberately spitting on vegetables and are themselves carrying uh, corona bombs to hurt the rest of the population. To me, I mean, we will you know, conclude on that and on, on where India is going and how suicidal these ideologies are. I mean, like I'm, I'm in Paris and I know, I know exactly where this kind of racism leads a country to. Uh, I know you touched on that, uh, Asif, but I'm I want to ask you to be more, to speak more of the role of Indian media. Do you have a tradition of, uh, how can I say, uh, courageous, you know, journalism that investigates and exposes the corruption, the flaws of the government, or as is the case in France again, and you know, I, I know my country better than the rest of the of, of you know the world, that most of the media belong to a tiny minority of billionaires of course, of you know, you know, the wealthy. And in turn, those media always are used as propaganda platforms for the people in power. Actually, this situation is same here in India as well. We do not have Muslim representation in the media. Each and every media house is owned by the billionaire who are, who are close to the power and who are very close to the Narendra Modi and uh, editors or big journalists, so-called big journalists, they, they, they work on the behalf of the government, I would say. There are very few exceptions in the media fraternity who can be called a real journalist. There are many journalists who dare to speak against the government, they lost their job. Now they do not have a job. What they are doing is they're doing just independent journalism right now, like they have opened their own YouTube channel. So they are doing independent journalism, citizen journalism. There are few uh, news websites in India which criticize the government. But as far as mainstream media is concerned, especially television media and the newspaper, they are completely propaganda tool machine of the government. They do not care about the truth. They do not care about the evidence. What they do, just like WhatsApp, if government has sent them a WhatsApp forward, like you need to publish this statement, they will publish that statement. That's, that's what they do. And as far as the Islamophobia is concerned, as I have explained, Indian media every day, you open any channel, whether it's English channel or Hindi news channel, they will debate about something which is related to the Muslim. And they, they won't debate anything positive. The purpose of the debate is demonizing an entire community, dehumanization of the Muslims, and how to normalize the hatred in the society. So, like for example, uh, if there is a there is a theory again a conspiracy theory in India, which was started by the right wing Hindu nationalists, they accuse Muslims of being low jihad. What is low jihad? I would explain for the Western audience. They claim that Muslim have Muslim men especially, they have a concept in Islam religion that they lure Hindu women, they trap them into their love, they marry with them and convert them into Islam. And that this is how they increase their population. This is how they, they humiliate Hindus. 
by trapping their women in the love. So they have given it a name of love jihad. And in the initial stage, it was started by right-wing conspiracy, those people who, who believe in the conspiracy theory. It was started by right-wing propaganda in their own circle, like Facebook, WhatsApp. Then it became a talk of the national media. National media also started uh, debating on such issues, whether it exists or not. And uh, then they reached out on the conclusion that it exists. Then it became a talk of the politician as well. So the politician who belong to the BJP, they started talking about it in their election campaign. It became a topic in the election campaign. And recently, BJP government in different states has introduced a bill against Laozia. It's like Nuremberg laws in the Germany, where they introduced a Nuremberg rule like you cannot marry a Jew, cannot marry a German. So this is what they are doing here. If they found an interfaith couple where man is a Muslim and girl is Hindu, they will falsely accuse him of being love jihad and he will be punished, he will be sent to the jail. So any random topic which, which, is, which is coined by fringe element, this is how they make, make it mainstream. mainstream yeah. but, yes, from fringe to mainstream, this is the journey. And it cannot be completed without the contribution of Indian media. Indian media played great role. And this sounds, uh, this sounds very, very familiar uh, in France and other Western countries. They only care about Western women when it comes to Muslim men. But when you, I, take, I give you an example, in France, for example, a study showed that 15%, that's one five percent of French Muslim women have either experienced rape or attempted rape. And nobody cares about that, even that when, when women are so scared of pressing charges that less than 5% do take, it, take the matter to court. But then you will, it comes times of campaigns and they will accuse Muslim men oftentimes of luring white women as if they were some kind of trophy. And this is where you see the hypocrisy of nationalist governments that they use uh, their own people as um, a justification for further racism. We also see it in France, for example, with the homeless. So you have uh, the far right when they see that the French government or when they see that, you know, for example, population of immigrant descent have uh, subsidies from the government, they will call that out and say, we should care first about our own low income families and our own homeless. The problem is at the same time, they promote a liberal agenda, which will make the working class even more poor. And they advocate for less of a welfare state, which will make the, the homeless even more, even, even poorer and more vulnerable. And I, this is again, an example that shows how uh, racism, when it permeates a society, similar mechanisms are consistently used to justify the supremacy of one group over the rest and to scapegoat a minority as the source of a country's ills. But speaking on that, the domination of one group over the rest or the majority population over the rest, how are other communities coping? The Sikhs, uh, the Catholics, uh, the Buddhists, for example, are they also victims of that same violence? Yes, of course, uh, the other minority also suffers due to this majoritarian politics in India, like Sikhs, they have been suffering 
they also face attacks or racial attack on them because of uh, their religious identity and uh, recently if you have heard about some farmer agitation if you have read something about it a farmer agitation has been going on in delhi new delhi the national capital city of india for last six months and the majority of the protesters are six so they have faced such same kind of brutality like uh, and uh, that uh, as i said a propaganda hate campaign against them they were labeled as terrorist khalistani or extremist by the media and the supporter of the right wing government and as far as christians concerned in india they also face attack by the right wing they they are often being accused of converting and spreading missionary and they are accused of uh, converting hindus into christianity so their churches are being accused on regular basis their churches are being attacked on regular basis they are uh, they they pray every sunday or i don't exactly remember the day but whenever they pray their prayer get disturbed they were attacked and this is they are not isolated cases there are many cases of attack on churches on the christian people and on sikh as well but the difference between the attack on muslim and christian is different from the sikh actually the found the those who believe in the hindu supremacy they believe that muslims and christian are outsider they do not belong to this land actually the muslim and christians are considered as the enemy of the hindus sikh was the religion sikh was founded in the mainland india so in case of sikhism they try to appropriate it although sikh people has opposed opposed it many times they say sikh are not hindus we are different we have different religious philosophy we are different we are not the part of hinduism but those people who uh, who propagate hindu supremacy they claim that sikhism is a part of hindu society and sikhs are hindu as well they have their own political agenda for that for that this story they just want to increase the population of the hindu in the country they like <clears throat> there are tribals in india who do not come into the fold of hindu religion but the rss has been trying very hard to spread hinduism in tribal area as well they went out to tribals and asked them to declare their religion as hindu if a government come for census or for counting the number of tribals and when government asked them their religion rss telling this people that please do not tell your tribals tell them your religion is hindu so this is how they that trying to the number of hindu in the country just for their political gain recently if you have heard about citizenship amendment act yes. of india yeah tell us about it yes 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 so <clears throat> recently just two days ago the union government of india has asked those non muslim refugees who came from pakistan bangladesh or afghanistan to apply for indian citizenship so what they are doing is they are giving citizenship to the hindus from the pakistan bangladesh and afghanistan and on other hand they are doubting the citizenship of indian muslim who have been living here for centuries they are asking indian muslim to prove citizenship what will happen in in, in such cases is that if indian muslim fail to prove their citizenship they will be declared foreigner and they will be put into detention centers so uh, if 
Hindu supremacy is targeting specifically Muslims and Christians because they are portrayed as a foreign entity or foreign entities. If they are trying to appropriate the Sikh religion and the latter are resisting and saying, no, we are not Hindus. Do you see any attempts, successful or not, of building solidarity between these communities? Actually, uh, uh, Muslim and Sikhs have a good relation with each other, not only in India, but outside India as well. So yes, I see a good relation, good bonding between Muslims and Sikhs. And there are many Sikhs groups who, who were protesting along with Muslim against the Citizenship Amendment Act in the late 2019 and early 2020. There are Sikh organizations in Western countries as well, whether Canada or the United States. They always support Muslim cause. So yes, I can say as far as Muslim and Sikh are concerned, they have good bonding, good relation. Christian, unfortunately, they are not very much active in the politics. So Christian, you, you will not see Christian voices on political platform in India. They are less than 2% and okay. they are not very vocal about it. Uh, we are getting close to the end of this podcast. And I see, again, and I, I really admire your courage, Asif, um, for speaking up so openly about what's going on in your country. Uh, my question now is, uh, in relation to the Indian diaspora abroad. What is the responsibility of the Indian diaspora around the world? Uh, what is your message to them, whether they are in the US, in Canada, in the UK, in Malaysia, Singapore, and of course, on the African continent? My message to Indian diaspora, whether they are Muslim or non-Muslim, who, who believe in secularism and human rights, my message for them is that you need to speak out more and more. You are not living in a hostile environment. You have more freedom. You are living in proper democracy. At least those countries allow you to express your views and your, you, you have freedom of speech there. So please use your privilege and your platform to spread awareness about the situation of India in Western democracy and uh, international community. And uh, please reach out to international media and narrate the story of the Indian Muslim, first thing you need to do is. And the second thing is very important, like <clears throat> as I had explained the Indian, in India, right-wing Hindu organization have very stronghold. Right-wing organization have a stronghold in Western countries as well. In the United States, they have their own organization and they are very powerful there. But what they do in US is they, they use a mask of being minority and oppressed there. They claim to be, we are minority, we are Hindus, we are minority here. And so they support, for example, they support uh, liberal politics in US, but in India, they support right-wing politics. Yes. So yes. This, this kind of propaganda need to be busted in international community as well. Recently, five organizations which belong to or affiliated to Hindu right-wing politics in India have taken approximate $1 million in the name of COVID fund from the US government. And this kind of fund will be used to fuel the Islamophobia in India. So such kind of things need to be exposed. And it is the job of Indian diaspora that they resist such kind of head, head politics and they expose 
head politics on wherever they live, whether they live in Europe or in America or in Australia. It's their duty to talk about such kind of <clears throat> politics and fascism. And it's their duty to support those people who are oppressed in India, whether it's the Muslim or the Christian or the Sikh or the Dalits, which are lower caste Hindus. It's their duty to speak on behalf of them because they do not have platform to express uh, their thought. They do not have many houses where they can narrate their story. So those people who have this kind of privilege should speak on behalf of them. Uh, what you're saying actually also applies to other uh, diaspora around the world. I can speak, for example, of many members of the African diaspora, of the Asian diaspora, wherever they are, and oftentimes they would praise liberal politics, secularism, human rights, when they live as minorities, for example, uh, in France, the UK, the US, Canada, or elsewhere. But when it comes to back home, they become staunch conservatives. And we see, I want to call this hypocrisy out because it does not help. You cannot seek uh, equality when you live as a minority in a country, but when you are the majority group, let's say between quotation marks back home, you seek the supremacy of your group. As if to finish, please tell us how you see India going or where you see India going in the next five to ten years. If I observe current situation, of course, I'm not a fortune teller. Of so course. I cannot say what would happen in the future. But whatever the current situation is, India is not going in the right direction. Definitely, it is going. It, it, the situation will be worse, as far as I know, because people do not care about the real issues. The real issues, like their own, you know, they, they need bread, butter, they need shelter, they need education, they need medical, and people do not care about these things. Currently, fuel price in India is. In Indian currency, it's about 100 rupees per liter, and they do not care about it. Like it's, it's, the inflation is going high in India, and uh, price of food, vegetables, and all basic amenities is going high, and people do not care about it. They care about communal politics only. So even if they have some kind of, you know, they, they are upset with the government right now that government is not providing them education, government didn't help them uh, during pandemic, they have lost someone near and dear due to corona. But when election time will come, the same government will play a political, uh, religious communal card, like something will happen, like uh, maybe a, a, a war type situation between India, Pakistan, and some something may happen in Kashmir. And like, as I, as I said, the issues of the temple and the mosque in India. So, so people, majority of India votes on these topics. If, if they see that Muslims are being oppressed, Muslims are in pain, they will happily vote for the majority in politics because they are happy. Muslim in pain, so they are happy. This is again, so again a, a, a case of divide and conquer and using identity politics to uh, avoid the criticism and actually scrutiny of uh, corruption, incompetence, uh, and mismanagement of uh, uh, public funds. And, and India is not alone. We see it happening elsewhere in the Western world, the same Western world that lectures the rest of the world on human rights and civil liberties. Asif Khan, thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us on this platform. Uh, thank you so much, Brother Yasser, uh, for allowing me 
to speak on your platform. I hope the people from India and outside India uh, would learn more about Indian politics and the situation of India and uh, international community, especially those who care about human rights in Western countries will pay some attention to the India and will will expose whatever happening here. Thank you so much. No, I'm really grateful for your time, Asif, and please, you are welcome anytime uh, to come on this platform to share your experiences and to, if you need to make a call, you get my coordinates and you can contact me. And this applies to any individual around the world who wants to speak of human rights, civil liberties and struggles for social justice. The Indian case again shows us that Islamophobia is not only a Muslim problem, it's always a national problem because that racism allows governments to conceal their incompetence, to conceal their corruption, and to play the card that I call uh, Islamo diversion. You do not speak of your failures, you use a minority to uh, divert public opinion and keep them busy with identity politics. Yes, the Modi government, as racist as it is, and as much as we can call it out for its you know, uh, ideology of Hindu supremacy, did not bring any good to the Indian people. It has divided India more than ever. It has applied racist policies. And the Indians, unfortunately, who voted for Modi and vote for him again and support him are either dying from COVID because of his mismanagement of the uh, pandemic and are getting poorer by the day as the public funds are being mismanaged. Dear listeners and viewers, thank you again for listening to us and for watching us. This podcast is brought to you by the Committee for Justice and Liberties. If you feel or believe that this podcast deserves your support for its independence, autonomy, and for being a platform to call out injustices wherever they are, please make a donation on CJL. Dot ONG, that's Charlie Juliet Lima, dot Oscar November Golf, slash donation. Whatever amount you give will help us, you know, pay for our bills, the tech support, and of course, to pay the freelancers when we could hire some in order to give more voices around the world. Thanks again for listening to us. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.